Greetings, and, and welcome once again to the ALS Association Greater Philadelphia Chapter Podcast. My name is Tony Heil, your Director of Communications and Public Policy here at the Greater Philadelphia Chapter. And while I've been on for multiple podcasts, in fact, all of them, I have a guest on today who has done one of our first podcasts, and her name is Elisa Brownlee, and she's in charge of our Assistive Technology Program here at the Greater Philadelphia Chapter. Before we go into our discussion, I want to tell you how you can get involved today and throughout the year. You can go to www.alsphiladelphia.org. Perhaps that's where you found this podcast. You can go on our social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, uh, even our Tumblr account, all at ALS Philadelphia. And you can also join a Walk to Defeat ALS, which is one of the best ways to organize, get your community involved in, in raising money and volunteering. And you can do that at www.gpcwalktodefeatals.org. So I'm speaking here today with Elisa Brownlee, who has been with our chapter for two decades now and providing a wealth of advice and counsel and support to persons with ALS and their caregivers throughout that time. If you've been around with ALS since for a long time, maybe you lost a loved one back in the 80s or 90s or even before then, you know that the services available were not as in-depth as they've been as our chapter and all other ALS Association chapters have been finding more ways to improve the access to patient care, uh, realize more ways that they can get resources to people, especially in faraway places, and improve quality of life as much as possible. Elise has really been at the forefront of that since she got here, not only with the assistive technology and making sure people can use different speech devices and other tools, but also learning, as all the other people in our patient care department have, what things are missing and how we can better provide tools and resources so that they can live a better life with this very terrible disease. So today we're going to be talking about something that you might not think about when you come to ALS, and that's emergency preparedness. For someone like myself, if there is a fire or some other kind of emergency, I may have ways of dealing with that, but it's obviously a lot more complicated for someone with ALS. And Elisa, thank you for coming on here to talk about this issue that people might not think about, but know it's very important. That's correct. I think within the past 10 years with uh, Katrina happening, uh, even further back with 9-11, uh, recently in our area, Hurricane Sandy, that the disabled population really had to think about emergency preparedness, or if you want to call it disaster preparedness. And that was the, um, the initiation or the, the, the beginning of this uh, PowerPoint presentation I did and my interest level in making sure that people were safe. I do remember when Hurricane Sandy happened, or Superstorm Sandy as they call it, and there was a walk to defeat ALS just a few days later. We were wondering if the walk would even happen because mm -hmm. of the timing of the storm. And for how many of our patients were losing power in that time and having right. water issues. And again, for someone like me, if I lose power and I need to get online, I just go to Barnes & Noble. Or if I lose water, well, I can go shower somewhere else at the gym. But for a person with ALS, for many of them, it was a very serious issue. It was, and certain uh, New Jersey counties had mandatory evacuations, and the police would come through and make sure that people were evacuated, except that no one thought about somebody in a wheelchair who doesn't have a handicapped accessible van. And those people, you know, had to rely on the police helping them out, and some people had to ride the storm out in their home because nobody could get them out of their home. Well, and we're talking about preparedness, and when someone prepares for something, they think about them, 
those issues as themselves, how I would do it, Correct. or if you're thinking about it, how Elisa would do it. Uh, and so it's important for us to think beyond ourselves to all people, not just with ALS, but these product, these ideas would help people, other people with disabilities. So I guess first, you're not going to be talking about the disaster itself, but how to think ahead and prepare. Correct. So we're going to be talking about preparation. And preparation does take work. It does not have to be done in one day or one hour. It can go, it can be a continuum. Uh, when you think about either having to leave the home or whether or not it's that you're leaving because of an emergency like an ambulance. So you have to think about what kind of um, weather issues might I have, what environment do I live in, um, and, and what might happen to me uh, that I would might have to leave my home. So it doesn't just have to be hurricanes, it could be ice storms, it could be flooding. It could be a variety of different environmental issues that will cause you to leave your home. So you have to think about, if I have to leave my home in the event of an emergency, what do I do? Well, the first thing that, that FEMA, the Federal Emergency Management Association, recommends is that everybody, those with a disability and those without, have something called a go bag. And you keep that go bag right next to the front door. And depending on if it's me or Tony or somebody with ALS, the, there will be differences in that go bag. So for a person with ALS, that go bag should have who their doctor is and the contact information, a list, a current list of all their medications. For people that are on feeding tubes, it's recommended you have two to three cans of feeding tubes. For people that have a power wheelchair, it's recommended you actually have an extra uh, charger for your wheelchair battery if you're using a power wheelchair. If you have trouble communicating, you would always, always want a letter board or a low technology method of communication in the go bag. So that go bag is kept near the front door and you grab it for any emergency, whether or not it's because you had to call an ambulance and your loved one is being carried out on a stretcher, you've got the go bag so you can bring it to the ER, show the doctor all their medications, their medical history, etc. Or if you had to leave the house in an event of a natural disaster, you still have that information and you get it and go. And we've discussed in the past that when you're talking about our uh, Scott Mackler assistive technology program, mm -hmm. you are not just communicating to the person with ALS, but to their caregiver so they understand. So you should have a go bag that's in the appropriate place, whether it's at your front door or going to the mm -hmm. garage or whatever, and that you also explain what's in there to your caregiver Correct. so that they know everything that's in there, probably so that they prepare that bag with you. Correct. And the other thing that FEMA recommends is that you have a seven-day supply of medication with you at any given time. Now, barring, I, I know it is because most medications are given on a 30-day supply. So if you can, try to get that additional seven days. But if you can't, you need your pharmacy number and, again, the medication, the dosage, and et cetera. So make sure you uh, have that. Um, uh, some water would be helpful, mm -hmm. uh, small uh, bottles of water. And also a list of family members or contact information. So, for example, if you were a caregiver and you were out, you know, 
going to taking your daughter or your son to go look at a college and you had a caregiver with your spouse uh, who has ALS and so an emergency happened and that person grabbed the go bag and went to the ER with your person with ALS. Well, it would, to have a list of contacts, my wife's cell phone, if she doesn't answer, we go to this person. If this person doesn't answer, we go to this person. So don't assume that everyone knows your contact information. Mm -hmm. And we live in, a, in an age where most of our cell phones, you just press mom and it dials mom. We don't know mom's number. That's right. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so um, th there's also recommendations that you keep ICE numbers in case of emergency under ICE in your smartphone mm -hmm. or your cell phone. Uh, first responders are supposed to check for ICE. Um, uh, and if they can open up your cell phone, if you've password protected it, it could be more difficult. So there's actually people who sell wristbands um, for the disabled community that just have the ICE information on there. In case of emergency, contact this person. That's important. And then, do you, is it feasible or something to think about that you have a place where you typically go? So Correct. If you have a like a sister or... Um, a parent that lives in the next town over or like a next state over that there's an emergency, I'm going to go there. You might not have a get there bag, but maybe you have a pharmacy there that you've been in touch with or someone there that you can actually get some extra support. Correct. And, and FEMA again recommends you have a personal support network, just what you just described, or you have a, a family plan that if I was to have to evacuate my home where mm -hmm. I am, my husband and my children know that we meet down the street at the fire department or we meet at the, the borough hall. Like, mm -hmm. we have a meeting place. That can be a little more difficult if you're in a wheelchair. So you need to make sure that your meeting place is wheelchair accessible. So it might be best to think about a school or a public building that you know you can get into. And then... Uh something of that building might not work. So if there's flooding Correct. in my town, then the borough hall might not work very Correct. well. So what to do in this time on there? And so that's why it's good to not only make a plan, but make a plan that you explain to everyone in your household. Correct. Correct. That is one of the things that uh, I think was, that really came out of the 9-11 disaster is that people couldn't find each other. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't just around the Twin Towers. It was around hall, the whole of lower Manhattan. Right. So, and the cell phones didn't work, um, and so it took and days. And a lot of people in 2001, I didn't have a cell phone yet then, right. so a lot of people still didn't have cell phones right. too. Right, right. So it, it really is something to think about, and, and again, coming out of 9-11 was how to get out of a building, a multi-story building, if you're in a wheelchair. Mm -hmm. And now we have a, a whole subset of assistive technology working on evacuates. So... The, the thing to think about, um, and this is important even when you're in home or when you're traveling. A lot of people don't think about when they travel and they stay at a hotel and they're on the, the 19th floor and you're in a wheelchair. What will happen if the, the fire alarms go off? The, the elevators are going to immediately go down to the first floor. Mm -hmm. So you're going to be stuck on the 19th floor. Right. So it is something to think about or, or if you work in a skyscraper or you know a, a building with more than two floors and and you go to work every day how are you going to evacuate so we have evacuation aids now they can be as simple as a heavy-duty tarp 
all the way up to a specialty uh, evacuation wheelchair that has the, the a high back and it has a seat and handles on the two sides so that somebody can physically carry you down in a chair. And I would assume that you would recommend that someone go to their clinic team and ask them what's appropriate, mm-hmm. where they can get it, because I'm just assuming here, but I'm sure you'll correct me, a lot of times someone will go and say, oh, I really need why to mm-hmm. survive this, and it, that might be way more expensive and bigger Correct. process than they need, and not only that, but inappropriate, because if it was like my grandfather had ALS and my grandmother, she was like 4'11", maybe, mm-hmm. she couldn't handle that thing, so here's Correct. the thing that you can handle that would work well. Right, and it, and it depends on a whole variety of situations. Again, if you're in a skyscraper, if or we have a significant number of people with ALS that live on the second floor. Mm-hmm. They can't get down to the first floor. Uh, either because of the steps or they're, they're um, staying on the second floor simply because that's where the bedroom and the bathroom are. Mm-hmm. Well, what do you do in the event of a fire to get down? Right. And we all think a fire is not going to happen. And as you said, I've been here for two decades. Thank you for making me feel old. Um, well, and you were only 20 <laughs> when you started here. That's right. You were the youngest person yes. ever hired. Uh, there you go. So how are you in the event of a fire because I – Yes, I've been here long enough and I've seen it happen. Mm-hmm. That how are you going to get your loved ones or your loved one from the second floor to the first floor in the event of a fire? Right. And so it can be as simple as a $40 tarp that is sold or as complex as spending a few thousand dollars. You don't need to do that. Um, but the other thing that is important to think about in, in terms of even getting out of your home is uh, to... To have a plan, like this is the way I'm going to hopefully get out of the house should a fire or an event happen, but to let your fire and rescue company know that you have a disability and you can't run out of the house as quickly as you normally mm-hmm. would if you were able-bodied. And so that would be tagged in the 911 system that a person in a wheelchair or somebody on a ventilator is living on the second floor and can't get out. And I work we're in my community. I know people in our fire department and our police department. And I think that a lot of the time people think that fire and police are good people, but they're faceless. They're, I don't interact with them, so I shouldn't contact them. But they're, they're human beings just like you and I. Mm-hmm. If I call up my local fire department and tell them I have my wife has this issue and can you just keep that in mind when you come here, a lot of the time they will have that note. Mm-hmm. And they, so it's important to communicate very well. As Correct. Well as can. Correct. And again, going back to knowing knowing the nature of the emergency you're speaking about. So if we go back to natural disasters, uh, weather-related emergencies, of course the decision has to be, do I leave or do I stay? Mm-hmm. And there are several reasons why people stay, like I mentioned earlier about the lack of transportation. There are some people who are just stubborn enough that they're going to ride out the storm. Right. And... Um, or that they feel they can't leave. Maybe they have a sick animal. Maybe they have a sick relative living with mm-hmm. them. So if you stay put, what do I do if I stay put? And uh, not only do we have people living on ventilators who are relying on power to keep them alive, but we have a significant number of people who wear non-invasive ventilation, also known as BiPAP, and they need power. Right. So you, you need to let your power company know that you need to be first on the grid to get your power back. Mm-hmm. So you need to let your electricity company know somebody in your home is relying on power to stay alive. Right. All right. And then 
Should that power go, how, uh, how are you going to keep the units operating? Now, BiPAPs and ventilators all have backup batteries, you know, but maybe you'll get six hours out of them. Well, you know, sometimes after ice storms, people are without power for four days. Oh, yeah. That's not even that crazy of a thing to right. say. So if you're thinking about that or you <coughs> rely on power to keep someone alive, it might be a worthwhile investment for a generator. Mm-hmm. All right. Now, there are different generators that are sold. Some generators will only run a few appliances. And if you're choosing to run the vent or your refrigerator, I think the vent would win. <laughs> okay. So you don't have to buy the most expensive generator that'll run 20 electronics. You need, you know, enough that'll run the ventilator, the BiPAP, maybe a light, you know. So you can determine what, what kind of generator you want. And you can determine what kind, you know, gasoline or whatever that you, what kind of generator you want. Um, and you can know that that generator would kick in. Right. Should and, you lose electric. And just like we said with the fire department and police department are run by human beings and you can communicate with them. I'm sure sometimes you can talk to power companies, like you said, let them know that you have a serious issue mm-hmm. and that you being able to breathe is more important than someone being able to get on Facebook. Correct. I, and they'll I, handle that. Right. Maybe, I mean, we can't guarantee that they'll get that right away, but, like, they will understand that most of the time. And maybe they'll be able to provide you with other resources if you call them mm-hmm. in advance, not just in that emergency. Right, because in this area, after Superstorm Sandy, it was a few months. Some people waited months to get mm-hmm. their electric back on. And that does remind me, because we're talking about previous events, um, please, you, anytime you have an issue, whether it's um, getting out of the house or stuck somewhere else or bad weather, use that as a learning experience, right? So mm-hmm. if you ha- were flooded and stuck in your house for a day and it was a mild inconvenience, try and think about what if it was worse, how, how would I prepare? Correct. Correct. And, and the situation gets even more um, serious if not only the person is in a wheelchair, but they can't communicate. Mm-hmm. Um, because communication devices also rely on electricity. Um, and in the event of an emergency, some people don't even think about bringing the communication device. So right. you always have to have a backup plan of how am I going to communicate with this person um, even if there's no electricity. Mm-hmm. So we give out free letter boards. We have a whole rapid access communication kit that we can send. Um, and, and I really stress that uh, when I'm speaking with families, both in clinic and on the phone or through email, that you, you have to have multiple modalities of communication. And unfortunately, when it comes to emergency or disaster preparedness, you might be in an unfamiliar environment trying to communicate with people who have no idea mm-hmm. that you can't speak, no idea how you are going to communicate. So if you're carrying a letter board or a picture board, in that go bag, you might want to have a directional sheet in front of it. Tony says yes, bye. Tony says no, bye. And Tony says maybe, bye. Because mm-hmm. you always need yes, no, maybe. Do not just stick with yes and no because you're forcing the person to answer incorrectly if you've asked wrong. Yeah, and, uh, you know, when I first got here, I would never have guessed that until you explained that to me. Right. <clears throat> and so in our process, we're not just talking about how to do things, how to talk, but how to understand and communicate. Communication is a two-way street. Correct. So if you can explain that to people, that's important. Correct. And so you might be talking to first responders, 
or you might be talking to uh, the police or the, the fire company who's trying to evacuate you. So you need to be able to communicate with them, even in the most simplistic form. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I guess the bottom line is just be prepared to be out of your element and know that you have to have a communication system in place with that. Mm-hmm. So who else should you communicate with and how else can you prepare um, beyond the communication? Well, the uh, well, knowing, knowing everything about the individual is the most important thing. If they can't communicate, you have a list for that. If they're in a wheelchair, you have a list for that. If they're on life support systems like BiPAP, Mm-hmm. that they're on 24-7 or ventilators, you have to prepare for that. There's no such thing as too little information. Exactly. Exactly. And so that's why when I began this, we said preparation takes work, and it does, and it will be ongoing. Mm-hmm. It will be constantly changing as your person with ALS progresses. Mm-hmm. And so you have to have, you have one list for somebody with a physical disability, one list for somebody who can't communicate, and one list for somebody who might be on life support systems. And it's and that information is changing both in terms of how the person with ALS is changing with progression Correct. of the disease, and mm-hmm. also as your own understanding changes, how your tools change, because someone 10 years ago didn't have an iPad, and so change their things for that. Correct. Or maybe they learn more things throughout another disaster, or just talking to their clinic team. Correct. Correct. So... Um, I think it's just, it, you know, I recommend just keeping a list mm-hmm. and jotting things down as you think about it, you know. Right. Oh, you know. Um, but I, I, the most important thing that I think you said is about communication. Mm-hmm. You have to not communication, verbally communicate, communication between your family, my family, communication with the community in general mm-hmm. um, about where you'd go, what you would do. Um, and then writing it all down. Right. So you have a go bag that's ready to go, which is something people should do even if they don't have ALS. Mm-hmm. I, I confess I don't have everything as prepared as I should, and I should do that. And But I know where I can get things quickly. Like, well, we have a baby, so a diaper bag, we have that handy. Mm-hmm. That's easy enough. Um, you should be preparing ahead of time, and often, mm-hmm. not every day, think about what happened. Don't worry yourself. Exactly. About it, but, but be thinking ahead and, and, and evolve, I guess you could say. And then... Um, Make sure that people understand. You, you talk to the first responders. Make sure the communication is mm-hmm. there. Um, and then, what about what you're doing when you leave? Because you're talking about mm-hmm. things that are prepared in your house. But there's the next step of what. Happens. The next step is where do you go? Right. Okay. Again, do you go to your place of determination, or are you going to a shelter? Mm-hmm. And if you're going to a shelter, we're going to hope you're going to have electricity. Right. So again, that circles back to: Do I stay and ride it out? With my generator, or do I go to a shelter where I may or may not have power and I can't bring my generator? So sometimes, as crazy as it sounds, it may be the most logical thing to stay in a certain situation. In a certain situation. Right, right. And I think you need to discuss that with, of course, (coughs) your family, but also your local fire company or your police. If the police are saying you need to evacuate... I think you call and ask, (laughs) like, okay, this is my situation. Mm -hmm. Um, And because you can't just go, you have to have the place to go to. Exactly, exactly. And and you have more needs than the typical person who is ambulatory. Mm -hmm. And um, you have power needs that they simply don't have. And this is something that we talked about in our traveling podcast a few months ago, Mm -hmm. uh, back in July. And I encourage people to look on our our podcast site for that and on iTunes for it 
And it's something I think about with Advocacy Day because we have people from our chapter going to D.C. and all over the country. And sometimes they go and they're like, oh, well, the hotel doesn't have this. And you're like, well, make sure you ask these questions. So Mm -hmm. you want to prepare the site ahead of time or at least be prepared for what they have. Correct. And and if you end up not going to a shelter, which I know a lot of people during Katrina did not, they opted to drive to Baton Rouge or to drive to Texas. That's fine, but if you need a handicapped accessible room, you know that's not something that you can get just by walking into a hotel. Right. So, again, there always has to be a plan. Right. Um, so it could be either a shelter or, or you could be going even to a hotel mm-hmm. because maybe it's a fire at your house, so a hotel is probably going to be available or a family friend, but either way, you have to have you have to understand what's available there and what you need to bring. Correct. But you also have to know that you can get there if you're going to drive. Right. <laughs> so if you don't have a handicapped accessible vehicle, know who, who your paratransit is. Um, if you're being mandatory evacuated, tell the police. And the police, you know, either have to come maybe with an ambulance to take you out on a stretcher. Mm-hmm. Um, if they have those resources. Um, the th- and is that something to think about, too, is find out what resources are available yeah. for first responders? A- absolutely. Absolutely. And Don't assume anything. Don't assume anything. But the, the I think what we learned um, with all these disasters really since 9-11 is that you can't wait too late either. You can't expect that somebody will come to your rescue in the middle of Superstorm Sandy when... You know, the winds are blowing at whatever they blew at, 80, 90 miles an hour or more, right. that when your power went out, you go, oh, 911, I need help. Right. <laughs> so I, I, FEMA just, they, they stress listening to the alerts, knowing that we all think it can happen to me, mm-hmm. and we know that's not true, um, and they have apps now. Um, that you can get, you can download a FEMA app, um, you can get, there's a whole website for FEMA and people with disabilities, mm-hmm. you can go visit. Um, and really every part of our chapter, and, and this will go up past our chapter, but I remember even in central Pennsylvania mm-hmm. when, I don't know if it was Sandy or different, when it was just completely flooded, and that, no, that wasn't a different storm, but it was a complete, total right. flood that affected many of the people with ALS that they either were stuck in their home even with power or else otherwise. Well, so just because it hasn't happened to you and you think, oh, that would happen in Florida, you know, it could happen right. anywhere. Well, I think Anything last year, last year's winter in New England was a perfect example. Right. New I, England stretching all the way across. The I, I know. Well, I don't think that people in wheelchairs were going <laughs> out when they had 30 feet of snow. Right. <laughs> so, you know, preparing for that and, and having enough, Enteral nutrition mm-hmm. if somebody's on a feeding tube and mm-hmm. and and so th- there's just m- many more layers to, to plan for but it can be done mm-hmm. and watch the news and, and absolutely so if you see if there's gonna be a storm coming maybe if you, there's things you right. can order ahead order right ahead. and I know during Sandy some people were calling the chapters we had a, a resource list that we kept um, especially when they did mandatory evacuations we would tell people the local number they could call. Mm-hmm. And and talk to their fire department. So don't feel like you're ever alone. Right. If a disaster does come, yes, we we the chapter can't come and get you out of your home, but we can certainly hook you up with enough local resources. Mm-hmm. So if you don't know who to call, you can call us, and we'll direct you. And on that same note, 
don't just assume that the chapter does know all those resources. Yeah. If you know, um, oh, I live in X town or X county, and this local official or his fire department's been really helpful with this, I'm going to let you know for future reference. Mm -hmm. That's really good because there's a very good chance that you're not the only person that lives in that county or town that has ALS. And then we have that information. So now we can go and say, you know, fire marshal so-and-so has these tools and there's someone we can reach out to. Correct. And and I... You could be saving someone's life by giving that information. I hope so because I talk to a lot of people. Every clinic appointment that I talk to, either someone new or when I go in to see someone, I always ask them, how do you call for help? Mm -hmm. And does, does the 911 system know that you have a disability and you can't walk out of your home as quickly as possible? Or if they have a communication disability... That, that it would flash up on the 911 screen, the person at this residence can't speak, they have ALS. Mm-hmm. Because by law, if you call 911 and you can't make yourself understood, uh, the police do have to do a welfare check. But depending on where you are, you could be there for two to four hours. You could have fallen and just are there until they do their welfare check. Mm-hmm. So if they know that you have a disability, whether or not it's a physical disability or a communication disability, it'll be tagged in the 911 system, and then help will be sent immediately. Mm-hmm. And like you said, people often can't speak, so mm-hmm. find out early on how you're going to communicate that there's an issue. Correct. I know with our local police department, you can email members of the police force or the chief, and they're very quick to respond. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're in a small borough where I live. Sometimes it's not as easy to do on a bigger level, but figure out if there's someone that you can text or email quickly that they can do it for you if you need to, mm-hmm. or how the best way to communicate is if you have issues. Yes. Yes. So so you, we know um, that you're going to prepare the place ahead of time a bit, at least research it to know what's going to be available, what's appropriate for mm-hmm. you. Um, that you're going to be preparing your own house. Um, is there any other way that people should prepare themselves to to be available in case there's an emergency? I, I think the most important thing is the go bag and the contact information. Mm-hmm. Um, and the contact information written out. Again, mm-hmm. I, I, I humbly acknowledge that I don't know my mother's phone number. She's under mom. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So, you know, if so, if I had to give it to the hospital, if I was in an accident, I don't know if I could. Well, and even put every type of way you can communicate with someone. Exactly. Because if I needed you, I might tweet you as quickly yeah. as it, And that's silly, but sometimes, right. Right. you know, people watch Cory Booker, the senator from New Jersey, when he was the mayor, people would tweet him. And oh, I know. And he, you know, <laughs> famously came to shovel some, I'm not going to, you can't do that, but... You never know. Maybe you could be tweeting someone in an emergency and get Correct. something. So Correct. every form of communication is valuable to that. Absolutely. And also put in that contact information how people can get in touch with you. Mm-hmm. Because you're not going to be in your home anymore. So you know, mm-hmm. call mom and tell her that they, she can get in touch with me via text or whatever because that might be more appropriate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the other thing that I could... I could recommend that um, you put in the go bag would be if if you have a pretty set schedule. So I get my tube feedings at this time. I, you know, put the BiPAP on at this time. Um, if you're wearing a catheter, I get the catheter changed at this time. So that if you couldn't communicate that it was trying, time to change your catheter, at least somebody could look at your schedule and go, oh, that's why he's uncomfortable mm-hmm. or something. So... You know, if you're on that type of schedule. Right. 
And if you're as prepared as possible, then you'll be a lot less stressed in mm-hmm. these situations. And I'm Absolutely. sure stress is a very serious issue, both for patient and caregiver anyway. So you're saving Correct. yourself a big headache. Correct. And, and it's already chaotic because of whatever's going on. Mm-hmm. The fire or the natural disaster or whatever right. might be happening. And that is something we've talked about is we've been kind of alluding to big disasters like Hurricane Katrina. Uh, but... These are important things for very minor things as well. So don't take for granted that it's not the biggest problem in the world. Take every disaster, every issue seriously. So Wait, power um, outage. If you remember during the Boston Marathon bombing, uh-huh. um, people in, in the Boston suburbs had a shelter in place for a couple of days. Right, because they were going after the suspects. Exactly. So, again, the shelter in place could be something. You know, this all runs together mm-hmm. about being prepared. Right, so that so have it there and just kind of keep in mind any kind of issue that may be, um, anything that people might find suspicious is this, mm-hmm. because people don't know what that is. So if you can label things, I'm sure that's important for someone comes to your house and says, what the heck is this thing? <laughs> that's you know, true, that, too. That's for yeah. me to do this. That's a one for me to communicate. Right. So if people want to learn more, where do they go? Um, you can go to FEMA.gov, mm-hmm. and under that is a whole website for people dis- with disabilities. Mm-hmm. And that particular website um, is actually broken down into three parts. As I mentioned, people with communication disabilities, people with physical disabilities, and people on active life support. Mm-hmm. And for a lot of people, that may be all three that they need. Correct. And a readygot.gov is the other one that you can go to. And that came out after 9-11. Mm-hmm. Um, really couldn't have even happened much before 9-11 because that was really at the dawn of when the everyone was online. Mm-hmm. And so if that came out in the 80s, you were like, how do I get to ready.gov? Right. And I think what you said too, <coughs> utilizing social media. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if for some reason your cable goes out but you still have internet, <laughs> you know, get on Facebook or Twitter or whatever. Find out what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you still have internet access or, excuse me, cable access, watch the, the, the local weather or watch the weather channel and just keep your eye on it. And also figure out where you can get more information if you need mm-hmm. that. Um, but it's important to also, if you're not sure of something, to ask. Correct. Ask your clinic team, mm-hmm. or if you have another, if you're a neurologist or other experts in your area, um, you're always quick to answer. Maybe even tweet Alisa. <laughs> tweet or email me. Right. Uh, my email is Alisa A L I S A at A L S Philadelphia. That's all one word. dot org. And if they want to tweet you, it's A L S Assistive Tech with a C. A L S A S S I S T I V E T E C. And. That way you might be able to get some other answers. I mean, maybe with the thing about email and Twitter is you might not just want to ask one question, but I saw this article, should I be worried? Exactly. Or um, this seems like a lot, do I need all of this? And then right. you could tell them at least have this bare bones Correct. so you have this available. Because Correct. Some of this may sound daunting, especially because if it's someone doing it for the first time, it may be like, I can't do all that by the next snowstorm. But, right. Know. And so I would say if you were talking about bare bones... The bare bones thing to think about is what happens if my loved one has to go to the ER emergently? Right. That's the bare bones. Mm -hmm. If you don't want to think about a natural disaster, that's fine. But at least prepare for an ambulance to take your loved one away and you to go to the ER. And and you need to communicate with the ER docs about the medication someone's on and, and the dosage and everything else. At least start there. Right. And have a communication board in there. 
right? Do not assume the hospital has them because they do not. Well, and even if they do, if there's a big emergency, they may be using all of them. Right, right. So, or you may be talking to a nurse or doctor who is new to ALS or that kind of because mm-hmm. of the situation. So, right. Assume nothing. Be as prepared as possible, as early as possible. Continue to evolve what you have um, and learn from every experience. Right. And I will say that the, the ER teams are trained to answer and yes or ask and yes and no questions. That's the first thing you have to tell them <coughs> is that it, that's, it's more than that. Good. So I appreciate you telling us all this sure. information. Uh, again, if you want more to talk to Lisa, email her, tweet her. Um, you can find more information on our website at www.alsphiladelphia.org. And obviously you can uh, go on all our social media channels all by following at ALS Philadelphia. And you can find all of our podcasts. We have 30 plus now on all on iTunes and that's at ALS Philadelphia. And you can subscribe and share them. And they're also on our website at www.alsphiladelphia.org slash podcast. So uh, thank you, Elisa, for sharing this. Thank you. Um, You can look for some new videos from Elisa coming up on our YouTube page very soon. If they're not up by the time this podcast is up, uh, where you can learn more about assistive technology. Uh, So continue to come to the ALS Association to learn about uh, providing um, the best access to patient care. Thank you.